McNulty stunning for to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hello Pompey fans and welcome to episode 181 of the PO forecast. Well, it's a loss against Sheffield Wednesday, three points picked up away against Accrington Stanley. Is the season dribbling away into mid-table obscurity? The short version of the podcast would probably be yes, but here to overanalyze, overthink and give you that absolute hint of hope that is neither accurate nor needed, but will result in extra disappointment in six weeks' time. It's myself and this evening, Freddie Webb. Freddie, how are you, my friend? Oh, I'm not so bad, Andy, thank you. Yeah, had a nice weekend with the, with the football, then saw AFC Porchester on Tuesday with, with Rob, so that was all nice. And yeah, the football's been quite interesting. It hasn't completely died off into obscurity or anything, but it might be on its way there. We'll just have to see, won't we? Exactly. Uh, this evening we are not joined by Hugh Bunce. It's not, it's not often I get to be the one who makes up an interesting destination. So Fred, where do we think Hugh is this evening? Is he back in Sweden? Is he in Somalia? Is he being, I don't know, what's what's a fairly bad taste place that uh, you can imagine he's disappeared to? No, I, I just York. think he, lo- he loved Sweden so much. And he talked about it an awful lot the last time he went. I mean, he's just gone back there. It was like an impulsive trip, looked at the last-minute flights on EasyJet and was there immediately. So that's where he is. When in reality, he couldn't find his keys when he got home, got locked out and just sacked it off and got on an EasyJet flight. You can't blame the bloke. Uh, Freddie, what is happening in your world? How is how is Portsmouth news? Yeah, it's going all right. Uh, just the usual, really. Um, some interesting stories when I'm not interviewing John Westwood. So that's obviously going all right but that's been obviously the major things for all sorts of bad reasons we'll come to that fred don't don't get ahead of yourself we've got three drop points against sheffield wednesday to cover first and uh and a sketchy but on paper pretty good win against accrington stanley before we get onto your little tirade which i'm i'm excited for uh this evening or whenever you happen to be listening to this absolute rubbish that we're creating We are going to start with reviewing the Sheffield Wednesday defeat that pretty much sealed Pompey's place as not going up, not going down for the season. And then we will speak about the away win against Accrington Stanley. 3-1, interesting game from an observer's point of view, I think, in terms of the scoreline reflecting the game or, or not in this case and, you know, what could have been, what should have been. Then there's a few bits of news that Freddie has brought to the table as the individual who has done prep this evening. And then we will look forward to Bristol Rovers this weekend. Our favourite opposition manager, Joey Barton, who is probably gloating 
after his comments about Danny and Nicky Cowley last time out and enjoying the fact that he's outlasted them in a managerial post in the league. If he has not been banned for any dodgy or unpleasant acts or illegal indecent things by the weekend, will be in the dugout for Bristol Rovers. So that is the plan for this episode. Fred, let's go down to the, the Sheffield Wednesday route. Uh, I missed this game because I was getting taken around the Imperial War Museum. So my input on this is going to be fairly thin. Uh, I'm acting as if I probably didn't have a better time at the Imperial War Museum than you did at Fratton Park. But it didn't start well. That's that's fair to say. Uh, We don't often seem to concede early, is my take on the season so far. We have a really poor first half record in the league that I'll come to later on. But I don't seem to recall us conceding going behind in the first 10 minutes at Fratton very on. What went wrong early doors in this game? Uh, To be honest with you, Sheffield Wednesday's first goal, it was just a nice bit of bit of quality, to be honest. Um, goal kick came across. Michael Smith rose highest and did a very nice flick on header. Um, and then Josh Windass, it was a lovely bit of movement, got managed to get in between in between the defenders and it was just a lovely clinical finish into the corner. Keeper, no chance whatsoever. It's the sort of thing where Ports would concede a lot from those sorts of chances, where if it's just a killer through ball in between the lines... With a with a lot of bit lovely bit of pace and a lovely bit of, bit of running, but really I'm not going to overanalyze the defence way too much. I think it's just a nice a nice piece of play and just a bit of quality from a side that looks like they're going to be the champions of this division. It would be an absolute choke job if they didn't go up from this position, wouldn't it? Sheffield Wednesday probably come closest to scoring next. Windass goes close again with a header. Pompey do create a little bit later on with uh, a really good chance from a free kick sprung in from the right. Realistically, are we thinking at any point Pompey is sneaking something here or during the game are you thinking this is realistically not going to be our day? Well, watching the game, Pompey ran into the same problems they have done against these sorts of sides. Sheffield Wednesday obviously going ahead early, controlled their defence really, really well. With the back three, they were able to pack the penalty area, which obviously leads to Ports of trying to spread the play just outside the penalty area between between the uh, the three midfielders behind the striker. Did the best they could with that, shifting them, but there was just a lack of quality in the final pass, which essentially led to an abundance of half chances, which if you look at it cumulatively, you're like, oh, okay, fair enough. But there was nothing clear, not like that nice bit of quality for the Sheffield Wednesday goal. I think that's the main difference there. Pompey looked okay. Sheffield Wednesday were able to break up the game an awful lot with some good game management, to be honest. That's why they've won a lot of their games 1-0, just with the precise fouls to break up the play, which leads to set pieces, or able to pack the penalty area as they are and just seem solid, but obviously have the quality to hit on the break with midfielders like Barry Bannon who could just hit a ball on the sixpence and set off chances so yeah Pompey were just lack of quality in the final third in this game unfortunately yeah Barry Bannon is not a league one player is he he probably isn't going to be for very long but skill wise you would say he probably doesn't belong in this division this is one of those games where if you look at it just by stats and this is one of my arguments against purely looking at football by stats is you'd think that it was a bit of a smash and grab in terms of shots 
and possession and passes. And I mean, it was it's clear to see what Sheffield Wednesday's kind of game plan was, having such a low possession with 36% and a pretty low pass accuracy at 64%. It's pretty obvious the style of football that they were employing to try and catch Pompey, uh, catch Pompey out. The only other thing I think is worth us touching on, Sheffield Wednesday red card plus Sean Raggett non-red card. I've seen a lot of debate about this in terms of whether they both were, neither were, one was, one wasn't. What were your thoughts on the challenges? So starting with uh, Dominic Iorfa's red card for Wednesday. Yeah, not much else happened in this game, really. I think the only chances that came up before those challenges were, it was a, it was a crossing from Joe Rafferty on one side, which Bishop was able to sort of get ahead of the defender and try and wrap his foot round, but it didn't really. And then there was the header from Sean Raggett from a set-piece situation, which just wide when he headed it across goal. That's about really, it really in terms of chances. The Dominic Iorfka, the first booking I thought was harsh. It was just a pretty innocuous challenge. I think it's the sort of thing where if the ref was a bit lenient, he could have just left it. The second booking um, I thought was a definite yellow because Ogilvy manages to shift shift past Iorfa and then Iorfa simply brings him down and gets none of the ball. That's If it was the first booking, he would get that booking already. So I don't see where that argument is. I think the argument lies in the fact that the ref was fairly inconsistent with his uh, calling of fouls before that, and some similar challenges were let go. So that's where that's where a lot of the uh, the ire comes from towards the officials, really. But no, I think the second booking was fair enough for Iorfa. The first was a bit harsh, in my opinion. The Sean Raggett challenge, obviously, it's a classic argument of he gets the ball but he goes straight through the Sheffield Wednesday player to get it. There's also the argument of it being two feet and studs up. Personally, I think if you are going to give that as a foul, I think a booking's fine. I don't think it's completely dangerous. But then again, I always lean on the side of the player with strong challenges like that rather than uh, giving cards needlessly, to be honest. Yeah, the first time I watched that back, my gut instinct was... Oh, he's got away with one there. But the more I've seen it back, it's the sort of challenge that I don't want to see as a red card in football as a whole. And it's the sort of challenge that it wouldn't surprise me if you did see a red card given to it. I think similar challenges do get given red cards in League One refereeing, which uh, we won't go into. Different rant for probably for the off-season. We can create an episode on that. But yeah, it's the type of tackle that I wouldn't want to see as a red card because if that becomes a red card where he has got the ball, it's an absolutely full-blooded challenge. And to be honest with you, if you take away the full-blooded challenge out of Sean Raggett's game, you lose about 50% of the benefit that he brings to the team. So I'm pleased not to see it given as a red card, but obviously the Wednesday fans are going to jump right on that because the referee wasn't fantastic. I don't think we're getting a a brilliant run of referees at the moment in terms of their their match performances. But I mean, I guess the too long didn't read version of this, TLDR, Sheffield Wednesday are probably just a better side than us at this point and show it. And it's making that point we got away at Hillsborough first day of the season look like it was a really, really good result, which I guess we knew it was at the time. But yeah. Any other thoughts on that game, Fred, before we move on to 
a slightly more successful end result in the Accrington game? Yeah, it, like you said, it just showed the quality that Sheffield Wednesday had in taking their goal, the the ability to grind out properly results, but also the quality they had in the midfield. They were able to control it for large parts of the game. Pompey lacked quality in the final pass before the penalty area. Pompey were they were able to actually deal with Sheffield Wednesday's tackling a fair bit. They were stronger in offensive and defensive duels, but when it came to challenges in the air, Sheffield Wednesday outclassed them according to the stats. So it limited Pompey's crossing and effectively to be able to get any chances, they had to shift the defence one way or the other with ground passing and low crosses, which didn't particularly work in the end, unfortunately. They were strong in the press, but hey, I mean, 1-0 was a fair Sheffield Wednesday result, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's very difficult to to disagree with the actual end result of that game. We weren't hard done by in any way, shape or form, as far as I can tell. So we'll move on to a slightly happier topic. Mixed performance, but got the result. So, I mean, there's a there's an argument there in itself. Accrington Stanley away, tough weather conditions. Firstly, huge credit to those of you that went up to this game. If you are listening and actually were one of those away fans, fair play. I did not fancy it in the slightest. I'm sounding like an absolute part-time fan on this week's episode, but got three games in a row coming up that will make me feel a little bit less pathetic in terms of being a Pompey fan. But yes, Freddie, tone is set fairly early doors. Uh, actually, to be fair, before the keeper got sent off, they had a really good chance in, what, seven seconds? Something along those lines? Ten seconds, maybe at a push? Yeah, was it the Sean Wally shot where he sort of glided through a few Pompey midfielders and it was a shot that was just wide. Actually, did very well with the effort outside the penalty area. Mm, yeah, really good hit, wasn't it? And Macy's not entirely confident. He knows that that's missing the goal, I don't think, but slightly ominous signs. But good news after 10 minutes or so, Accrington keeper comes out, bit of a sort of Manuel Neuer moment. Uh, by the sounds of it, not the first time. Is it Jensen? Jensen has done it this season. Uh, Accrington Stanley, I think this is like their fourth red card of 2023 or something. Uh, in our match preview, we actually predicted an Accrington red card, so it wasn't an entire surprise to see this take place. What were your thoughts on whether it was a red card? Bearing in mind the chance that was created from it was missed. Is that relevant? I don't think it is, but do you find that relevant? Did you think it was enough of a foul to be a red card? Did it look worse because it was a keeper coming out doing a Harold Schumacher? Like, What was the... What was the thought process for you, Fred? Yeah, it was surprising that Matt Macy's goal kick was able to get all the way there because it bounced a few times. Paddy Lane manages to pick it up. Very good prey, pretty much for on goal as well. There wasn't really a defender near him quite. That's why Lucas Jensen steamed out. Uh, Hopefully he's a relative of Brian Jensen, the Burnley keeper, but I'm not too sure. But obviously he clips in and goes down. And the argument really is, is is Paddy Lane the last man there? I think you could argue yes. Potentially, if he, if Jensen just stayed in his box, a defender might have been able to catch up to Lane there. But the fact that he just completely just, it, it looked head lost into it, the way he just ran out, brings Lane down. I don't blame the ref for giving a red card though. I've seen similar situations like that be red cards. So yeah, I don't think Accrington fans have much to say about that really. I'm not sure about it being a, him being a relation, but I can tell you from extensive research that he actually used to be a, a mountain biker and took part in the European Mountain Bike Championships representing Denmark. So 
maybe that explains the head rush and the need for a bit of adrenaline and sprinting out of the goal when you really don't need to. Uh, Accrington fans were not impressed by this. <laughs> it's fair to say, looking at the social media reaction, uh, the poor discipline is becoming a bit of a theme for them this season. So the keeper goes and you're thinking, right, Pompey against 10 men. The, the quote that came to mind was, uh, what's his face? Who was managing up the road saying it's harder to play against 10 than it is against 11 and all of that. And you think, right, are Pompey going to be able to take advantage? And then within about, what, 60 seconds or so from the free kick routine, really nice ball in. I think it was Paddy Lane with the ball in. Um, feed the pig, chuck some some more cliches in there. Uh, just copy and paste from the, the Pompey Twitter feed. And Piggott glances it into the far corner, strong start. And you're thinking, right, this could kickstart a really, you know, a bit of a putting our foot down and putting a bit of a line in the sand after an iffy week against uh, against two teams we were hoping to take points off and didn't. Thoughts on the goal, Fred? Anything in depth and, and statistically significant or genius for you to pick up on? Uh, it was a very nice set please play, wasn't it? Um, purely because the picket pass to Lane pretty much outfoxes the Atkinson defence, really. I also like the fact that he pretty much steamed into the penalty area and got that space in front of the defender. Nice in-swing cross. Pickett gets ahead of his man. Weisscott rated that as a 0.07 expected goals chance, which I think is a bit harsh, but it's still a lot of quality to be able to get that header right in the corner, considering where he is in relation to the penalty area. And yeah, it involved two players who I thought had really good games. Um, Pickett looked like that complete striker, that focal point that he did for Wimbledon, in my opinion, really. And Lane looked very comfortable on the right-hand side. Um, linking up play with the midfield fairly well cutting in on his left it was that quality that wasn't there in the Sheffield Wednesday game so it was lovely to see wasn't it it was and then the sort of the half an hour following that I think the word that came to mind for me was just sloppy to be honest there are players that you don't normally expect to be sloppy just misplacing passes I thought someone who's had a really good second half of the season, Joe Morrell gave the ball away quite a lot from central midfield and will be, I think, quite disappointed with his his performance in terms of helping us maintain possession in the rest of that first half. And you have to say, we're potentially fairly lucky to go in a goal up at half-time. Macy makes a couple of, to be fair, fairly standard saves. Accrington put a bit of pressure on and... You know, if if they could finish, Agrington's finishing was bad. If they could finish, we might have been in a bit of a bit of trouble. And I think the weather conditions didn't help because they seemed to have a lot of first time efforts from pullbacks. And I think their players just seem to keep losing their footy and footing in the the icy conditions or the snowy conditions. And there were some there were some excellent skews and excellent sort of slices of cake going on there and balls going high and wide and out of the stadium just before half time. You'd say that when they hit the bar, they potentially should do a bit better with that chance. Uh, I, I was fairly certain that was nestling in the corner. What does John Massinio say at halftime, if you're in that dressing room, Fred? Bearing in mind they're against 10 men, but have spent about three quarters of the half on the back foot. What do you say? Well, I'm not I'm not a football manager, so I'm not going to pretend to know about team talks, really. But I, I guess just calm it down and focus, because Pompey... Scoreline rise and had the man advances were on top, but 
they were just letting Accrington control that midfield, uh, which is almost the opposite problem that they had in the uh, Sheffield Wednesday game. There was a lot of misplaced passes in the middle. Obviously, the weather conditions were a factor, but it was sloppy and it let Accrington back in. They were very aggressive in the press as well, Accrington, which didn't help. And throughout the game, they accumulated a fair number of chances. If if at halftime it was all, it was one all, I think that was probably fair. So Pompey didn't have that grip on the game, which they should have done, didn't give them the man advantage. Indeed. And then the second half kicks off and you think, right, we need a bit of a foothold in the game here. It's one of those super cliche moments when the next goal is pretty uh, pretty crucial. You think if we go 2-0 up against 10 men, even on a bit of an iffy night, you you kind of expect them to see it out against a team near the bottom of the league with a poor home record and fairly low on confidence. And thankfully, after a slightly slow start to the second half, where Accrington have that one, one chance from outside the box that goes wide, it's another free kick routine, another dead ball routine. Ball gets played out to the right. And I can't remember if it was Jot or Proudy referred to Sean Raggett as a trampoline touch, which I thought was fairly apt. Uh, shins it back out and credit where it is due. Really, really good finish from Rico. First time placed with power, not actually right into the corner of the goal. I think it's the height of the ball that does the keeper. It's a bit of a weird one. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about the keeper's positioning on this or if he was blinded from the shot, but taking nothing away from the finish. Really what we needed at this point for a little bit of comfort, a little bit of breathing space, eh? Oh, right, absolutely. Um, Rico is prone to a very classy goal, isn't he? <laughs> a lot of the time, that's what one of his major plus points. Takes it incredibly well on the side foot. Could have easily ballooned it over the bar with that, with that sort of technique, but no. Man, it manages to nestle it high enough to get away from the keeper, which is really nice. Um, I think the assist by Sean Raggett, I think it depends on how cynical you are. It's either a very nice, comforted pass or it's, well, a misplaced touch. I, th- I think it depends who you ask, really, and how positive you are. I don't think it depends on who you ask. I think we both know the answer to that deep down from it. <laughs> I think most people listening probably deep down know the answer to that, whether it was a, a beautifully weighted pass off halfway up the front of the Tibialis anterior, the front of the shin. I think it might have been a bit of a a bit of a balloon touch, if we're being brutally honest. Uh next thing of note, I guess, that really happens is Joe Piggott being sent off. And I have a feeling this is going to go Pompey appeal, appeal rejected, three-match ban. For me, this is not a red card. And I realized that we are probably shamefully biased here in the on the PO forecast as we tend to see things with in this case sort of spearmint colored glasses but I've watched this back a lot Piggott gets to the ball first and actually it's a really good save by the goalkeeper to be fair Piggott gets to the ball first he cannot make himself disappear he doesn't go in two-footed he leads with his right foot it is not a two-footed leap into the ball Keeper makes a good save. I don't really know what Joe Piggott is meant to do here because if he doesn't commit to that chance and dive in for it, he gets absolute pelters, as far as I'm concerned, from the fan base for not being committed and not putting his body on the line, etc. And it is an unfortunate collision. And I just don't see how the referee's given it as a red card. I really don't. 
Yeah. Um, I know, I know I could be biased, obviously, but that's a horrendous decision. If that's a red card, then you're pretty much calling a red card for every single 50 50 ever, really. Um, and some would say it's even harsh to call it a 50 50 because Piggott gets there first. Um, no, Piggott has every right to go for that ball just as much as the Atkinson keeper has every right to rush out to it as well. Um, obviously, with uh, when there's the coming together, it look. It, I can see how the referee might think, "Oh, it looks worse," but it's just both players making a genuine effort to win the ball, which shouldn't be punished like that. Um, obviously, Pompey are appealing it, um, understandably, but obviously the uh, the refereeing body will just back the official on this one because they're cowardly, to be honest. I I think they will because unless it's an absolute glaring horrendous error like mistaken identity or something they don't tend to overturn these and as far as I could see referee didn't consult with a linesman as far as I could tell he made his decision pretty quickly himself yeah it's not going to get overturned I don't think I'd be very surprised it's just extremely frustrating because Piggott looked as you said earlier really good in this game and I don't think he gets any slating for being sent off. I think he's done exactly the right thing. And I think the referee's done him dirty as far as I'm concerned. So a uh, bit frustrating. Yeah. In fact, very frustrating. I'm quite pissed off about it, Fred, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Because Peter Piggott was properly into this game. The link up with Bishop was very good. Um, it was sort of a blend between a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-4-2 because both strikers were moving in and out of each other. There was enough of a presence before the final they were third. What, <laughs> Replacing positions with each other. Thank I should you. have I should have said that rather than yes. what I actually said. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, both strikers were able to come deep with the ball sometimes, leaving the other striker to stay forward. Linking very well with Hackett and Lane, which is quite crucial because both of them are on their opposite foot, which is a bit which is a big thing. And yeah, they proved a handful, uh, even though Pompey didn't create. A lot of chances in this game when the ball was able to get put into the final third they look fairly solid and it's harsh on Piggott because he played a really good game arguably earns himself into Bristol Rovers and we're going to come on to them in a minute but him and Bishop was exactly the sort of partnership that was needed for that game specifically given how Rovers are a very very poor defensive side so to lose him is incredibly harsh the appeal's probably not going to get overturned because well, they'll back the official on that one, even though he's wrong. And yeah, it sets Pompey back a bit, which is uh, a great shame, really. Indeed. After the red cards, Akron can go down the other end, hit the bar, good block from Thompson, prevents the rebound from being on target. And then Pompey make it three. So Colby Bishop scores against his former club. You know, football cliche is very respectful, doesn't celebrate, you know, whole stadium, you know, polite clapping from the Accrington fans and celebrations from the Pompey fans if they could feel their fingers at this point. I think the keeper should do better for me with the original shot. That sort of save, so from the original shot that Bishop follows up, the save to me looked like what you do on the playground when you sort of half paying attention, someone smashes the ball and you just kind of stick your right foot in the way a little bit, and it doesn't really matter where it goes. It was, for me, quite a lazy save. Uh, unlucky for not to get more distance on it after it comes off the keeper, but I think it's quite a lazy save. I think the keeper should do better with the second and the third goals, the more I look at these back. Anyway, the actual rebound, 
Great technique from Bishop. First time, buries it. Very respectful. Doesn't celebrate. You love to see it. So after Bishop makes it 3-0, Accrington Stanley do go up the other end and pull a goal back. So to, to be fair, quite a nice goal. Good ball in from the right. Looping flick-on header into Macy's far corner. What went wrong for Pompey? Raggett ends up being the man who doesn't get the header in, but the, the Accrington striker kind of gets between Towler and Raggett. Is there any real responsibility we need to dish out there to either of the centre-backs, or do you just say, good centre-forward play, does well, good header, is what it is? Uh, the latter, really. Um... Karodi Adedoyan proved a, a, a big handful when he came on. And it was just a delayed run from a very good striker, gets in between the centre-halves, and it's a hard finish from there. Looping header, literally right in the corner. Macy couldn't do anything about it. It's just one of those things. Um, I'm not going to... We've slated the defence multiple times before. I'm not going to slate them for that. I, I think it's just a nice bit of centre-forward play. Speak for yourself. Freddie, I would never dream of it. Don't know what you're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. And it was, again, like you said, a lovely finish from Bishop for his goal. Um, and it brings him up to 16 goals in the league and 20 goal contributions in the league as well. Very classy. Arguably player of the season. Thank God we actually spent that money on him. Arguably is interesting. I, I don't know what the argument is. Are there any others that you would... Actually, we'll, we'll come on to that later in the season. We've, there's still plenty of games left. We don't need to nominate our player of the season. There's too many options. I couldn't narrow it down. I think the the only other thing I wanted to touch on from these two games was in, in both of them, even though we were a goal up in the Accrington game, it's that first half that isn't clicking for Pompey. And if you break down the league season so far into first half and second half, if it's purely based off first halves, Pompey sit 15th in the table and we are only, what is it, eight points off the relegation zone in first halves. Conversely, to give credit where it's due, second half, if the points were just decided off second half performances, we'd be fifth in the table. And that is not an entirely you know perfect metric because it doesn't take into account when teams have scored three in the first half and then sat back and protected the lead in the second half. So maybe they, they've not picked up as many points in the second half as they would have done. So it's, I wouldn't say it's a flawed metric. It's a, it's a take with a pinch of salt metric, but it does highlight Pompey's struggles in the first half of a lot of games this season. And you have to say that that's going to have to be a big target. Looking forward to next season is... It's just starting a little bit quicker, particularly in away games where we just got behind the eight ball too often and then not had the quality in the final third to break teams down. And, you know, when they when they start to protecting a one-goal lead or a two-goal lead, we just don't have that individual quality unless potentially Lowry's fit and firing to break down defences. Yeah, it's been a trend all season, hasn't it, with uh, different personnel and different managers. It's quite worrying how slow their starts can be. And against strong opposition, they could pretty much get blown away quite quickly. We've seen that in many games. I think Peterborough away is a classic one where Pompey made a fist of it in the second half, but were completely outplayed and outclassed in the first. And it makes things harder when you can argue about the quality of this side, whether it's mid-table or pushing the playoffs. 
but it doesn't help when they have so many poor first half performances that are they're effectively making things harder for themselves already. And that's been the story of the season, really. Yep. I'm looking forward to our post-mortem in 10 games time. So 10 games oh, to go. Mate, in the but, it, but it's the run-in. There's still a run-in. Oh, sorry, Fred. I, you're right. I should be maintaining excitement for the next part of the pod and our next 10 episodes. It is 36 games gone, 10 to go. Pompey sit 10th in the table on 54 points. We probably should have led with this at the start of the podcast to context, but never mind. Nine points off Bolton in sixth. Ten games to go. I think if we'd picked up either three or four points from the Wednesday and uh, Barnsley games combined, we'd be going, so you're saying there's a chance. I do unfortunately think we're a little bit past that now. And I'm I'm not really saying that there is a chance. Give me two wins on the bounce. I'll be back to, so you're saying there's a chance, just disgusting amounts of optimism. Uh, you can't see it coming, can you? But we do have a favourable run in, Fred. Yeah, Teams absolutely. like Barnsley, Barnsley have got a horrible run in. We have got, a, on paper, a far nicer run in. So I'm not even going to say you never know. It's not happening. We'll we'll just leave it be, won't we? Because, well, looking at the form in the last 10 games, Pompey have five wins, two draws and three defeats. Now, obviously, two of those three defeats are against very good teams. Sheffield Wednesday and Barnsley. That win against Bolton is crucial. It basically kept us in the race. Um, Looking at the teams above us, there's obviously Shrewsbury and nine for 55 points, Peterborough 57 Wickham with 16 and Bolton with 63 in the last playoff spot. In terms of the form in the last 10 games, Bolton, Derby and Shrewsbury ahead of us in terms of just their raw form anyway. But like you said, there are favourable fixtures left. Um, Listing them all, since I wrote them all down. Bristol Rovers away, Port Vale at home, Forest Green at home, MK Dons away, Morecambe at home, Shrewsbury away, that's the crunch game, really. You could argue that whoever gets three points out of that springboards further forward, then Oxford away, Accrington Stanley at home, Derby away, and then it's setting up for Wickham at home to be another springboard game, arguably. Remember, looking back to last season, Plymouth didn't get promoted with 80 points or just slightly above 80 points. So the argument really is with 10 games there, Ports have had to win nigh on all of them and hope that other teams drop points. It's incredibly unlikely. Um, and I've said that the season is dead multiple times before, so I'm not going to get overly positive about it. So all we've got but, to do, Fred, is win every single game. Well, the majority the of them, yes. <laughs> exactly, the majority of them. And yeah, okay. it helps we've got a favourable run-in, but mm. my God, there's still too much to do, really. Oh, Fred, I found out today there, there are train strikes on the day of the Forest Green game, actually. I round up this afternoon. And as a result, I've been roped into work open day at uni, which got me sad. And then I did find out that uh, our Chancellor, who plays Johnson in Peep Show, is going to be there. And I'm absolutely thrilled. And I think I'm going to have a far better time pretending to be professional, trying to get a selfie with Johnson from Peep Show rather than watching us play Forest Green because I can't get down from Oxford thanks to the train strikes. It's been an emotional roller coaster of an afternoon. <laughs> Always taking the positives of missing a Portsmouth game, I suppose. Also, you know, Oxford great university. We're really pleased to welcome everyone to our open and applicant days. Fred, 
Before I say anything that will potentially get me in trouble at work, shall we move on to the little bit of, of news before the Bristol Rovers preview? What would you like to lead with as you've done a list? We shall. Um, I'll start on the pitch. We'll move on to off-the-pitch matters in a minute. Um, firstly, obviously, there's the whole argument about where Ronan Curtis's future. He came out in the news with his ACL injury that it looks like to not rush him back, that he'll be out for nine months. That goes into roughly the halfway point of the next season. And obviously his contract situation is horrendous because he's out of contract in the summer. And there's the whole argument of, well, will his uh, expectations go down? He might accept a one-year deal, maybe, just for the security of it. Will the club even offer him anything? Because they're within every rights to not offer him anything, given the poor season he's had. Obviously, there are caveats with that, but his stock has been falling for a number of seasons. And it seems to set up, really, that you're going to have to make a harsh decision with him. I was wondering what you think of it, Andy. I'm so glad you asked. So for me, I agree. You'd have to say in terms of championship interest, etc., his stock's probably fallen a little bit. It sounds like there has been genuine championship interest at times from, from interviews we've seen recently. I think he's done enough at the club and, you know, put his, put himself on the line for the club enough that he deserves that chance to rehab from a nasty injury and have a contract at the club, whether it's for a year. ACLs suck. Absolute, well, ACL injuries suck. ACLs themselves are great. They really, really help with performance. But ACL injuries suck. But we do see players such as Jack Watmore come back from them, potentially second time round even, and put together a really good career and come back, you know, stronger than ever. So... I do think the man has done enough to deserve a contract. I'd feel slightly uneasy if just he got left by the wayside, contract not renewed, trying to find a club halfway through a spell on the sidelines with an ACL injury. But it will be interesting to see what happens. I'd be looking at that one-year deal and saying, look, realistically, we're going to help you with rehab until you come back, which will be about halfway through the season You've then got 20-ish games if you manage to get back to full fitness. Just give us everything you've got for 20 games. We'll see where we're at. And that isn't ideal because it leaves the contract talks pretty late in the day for the end of that one year. Because ideally, you want to be sorting it out you know, before that six months, the, the final six months. But through necessity, I think that's where I'd be settling. Yeah, there's arguments for both sides of this. Um Obviously, they have the thought of, well, since he's declining and it's a horrible injury, will he get better? Now, you have really no idea, but looking on past performances, you'd think, okay, the time it's up just to cut it. He will be on a reasonable wage, given the fact of his position in the club and so on. And the argument is, well, if the Isers are going to be counting every single pound of wage budget compared to other sides of the division who are more free spending, the pure, the purely objective thing is to cut Curtis and then use that money elsewhere. There are some issues with that, in my opinion. If you do that, I think it sends the wrong message to other players who you may bring in. Quite simply, if you cut a player with a young family with that sort of injury, 
it gives off the impression that players are expendable. And when when it comes to fighting for the best free agents, for example, every little bonus you have in contract negotiations matter. And if, for example, Pompey offer Curtis a one-year deal with a club, club option of another year and he takes it, other players might look at it and go, okay, that club aren't completely ruthless. They, they, they've got your back if something horrible happens. They've shown it with Jaden Reed extending him after a horrible injury. Then he gets another That's one. That's exactly what I was about to bring up, Fred, yeah. Obviously, the, they're not the same player in terms of wages and positioning in the team. So that's another thing to think about, really. There's a lot of external factors that make me not completely side with just cutting Curtis completely. You have to think how popular he is in the dressing room. Will cutting him out completely ruin any single dynamic you have? And then you might have a poor dynamic heading into next season. I think it's just a decision for Richard Hughes and Massino to make, really. And if they pick either or, I don't think either decision is bad in my opinion. It's one of those strange ones. Mm. But we'll just have to see. It, and it depends what sort of deal Curtis would take. And you yeah. might think, given the injury, that it might be a bit more flexible. Because the last time we were talking about that, before the injury, we thought, well, Curtis won't accept a one-year deal with an option for a, another. Now, with the injury, he might think differently. Mm. Well... On the plus side, he's going to be spending a bit of time with with Lee Brown, who I my Wimbledon friend. I can't remember if he said he was either injured or got suspended at AFC Wimbledon. And I just typed in Lee Brown suspended into Google to to see if uh, I'd remembered that part correctly. And it's come up with some very different news stories about a teacher in Canberra who's been doing things that she shouldn't have been with her students and got a suspended sentence for it. So I'm closing that tab of Google Chrome as we go, and we'll move on, Fred. From uh, from Ronan Curtis and his uh, ACL, obviously we wish him all the best for his his rehab and his recovery. It's a tough injury, um, but you'd say in terms of pure ballsiness, Curtis is one of those players that you'd think if anyone's going to get through the rehab, it's him. So we do do wish him all the best. Are we moving off the pitch, Fred? No, I'm going to stay on it. Actually. One more. There's, a, there's enough there. Um, yep, yeah, obviously with Col- Colby Bishop's form. I saw this on Twitter immediately after the game. A lot of doom-seeking Portsmouth fans immediately thought, well, if a championship club bids for him, Portsmouth will accept it and then he'll move on. I'm not doing that because for the sake of my own sanity, I'm not thinking that. But really, championship clubs might think, potentially think twice about offering him a lot of money, even though they've shown interest in other strikers with a good season, like Cole Stockton, for example. If Pompey get like a £2 million bid for Bishop, I think personally, if if the club are after promotion, they have to just keep him because arguably he's the best player we have so far and our biggest asset. Yeah. Do you think the club will sell him if Bishop gets a big offer from a championship team? He signed on a three-year deal and as far as I'm concerned, we're not one of those clubs that that you know sign players just to give him a leg up to the next division up. And we should be, obviously, we should be aiming to keep him. It's the sort of situation you could just see him going to like a QPR or a team that's really out of form towards the bottom of the championship. And, you know, if it was about to be a January window and QPR had 
had the run of form that they have had just now. You could really see them just picking up or trying to pick up Colby Bishop with uh, with Gareth Ainsworth coming in and spotting a player he's seen a lot of in League One, kind of thing. But I'll be I'll be fuming, Hun, if uh, if we get rid of him, I'll be fuming. But no, I'd be I'd be surprised. I would like to think that with the the, the plan for next season, I'm sure John Messina is a man with a plan that um, we'll we'll be able to get him to stick around because he is he is a key player, Fred. Let's be honest, we would not be where we are in the league without him, without his goals and his assists. It's as simple as that. Right, next, Fred. What's on the list? Uh, yeah, we're moving off the pitch. Oh uh, uh, boy, I wonder we, what this we got. Could it, be we about. got. We got. We got to get this done another way. I wonder what this we? could be about. Yeah, for those of you who are not aware, John Westwood has been banned again from Fratton Park. An initial two-match ban with the club, apparently, according to him, having more discussions after that two-match ban period, with potential more punishments added on top. It's a grey area whether he was escorted or asked to leave. I'm going to go with asked to, leave, asked to leave because it's the legal right way of doing it. He was asked to leave Fratton Park at halftime because he entered the women's toilets and claimed he was transgender or identified as a woman. His argument is he apparently said he wanted to show solidarity with women. That is a quote. I should know because I interviewed him. Mary Williams, on the other hand, an eyewitness who saw what happened, essentially said it's obviously massively offensive. Westwood would never realistically identify as a woman and that he was ranting and raving in the toilets at the time, etc. Now, obviously, this is probably the most serious incident he's done, in my humble opinion. It should be punished properly. The club, the initial response is a bit meek, in my opinion, and given it's given they've claimed to show support for causes before, like her, her Game 2 and Rainbow Laces, if a serious punishment isn't given for this, and John Westwood basically claimed that he didn't intend to properly offend anybody. Well, I think the situation is so serious that intent sort of goes by the wayside to a certain degree. If the club don't put a harsh, a harsh punishment to him, in my opinion, it sends the wrong message where you can't claim to support those causes properly when the chips are down. You're essentially, you're essentially just pushing your support for causes to just logos on T-shirts and social media posts rather than actually standing for them. And that's my take on things. I think the sort of punishment that may be acceptable is banned for the rest of the season with some sort of education involved. Uh, John talked before about, oh, I don't want to cross boundaries like racism, sexism, etc. Doing that, going to ladies' toilets and identifying as a woman is a boundary to trans people for obvious reasons. What are your thoughts, Andy? Right, yeah. So you said about there being sued. If the PO forecast is sued, we are going to have a real push on the Buy Me A Coffee website. You'll be seeing it flagged even more than it has been previously. Thank you to everyone who's bought us a coffee to help with server costs and getting Fred drunk before games. With that said, I think to bring this down to its absolute basic facts of the matter, this is an adult male thinking it is appropriate or okay to go into the toilets where there are young girls that is the long and short of it and whatever your opinion is and i've seen some social media responses that have made me just want to facepalm but if your opinion is oh this is the woke lefty snowflake blah 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 brigade you know wouldn't have thought this in the blitz kind of thing if that is your view that the world has gone 
too far towards the word woke or what whatever term you want to use to describe people with with morals and a conscience if that is your view then i would just ask you to think to the facts of this specific situation which is an adult man thinking it's okay to go into a place where underage girls and and you know adult women but particularly in this thought, underage girls but obviously it's not okay for adult women either that is the long and short of it and it's not about being woke. It's not about being a snowflake. It's not about being a millennial. It's not about being Generation Z or any of those terms that are flung around for any reason. It is an adult man going into a women's bathroom. That's what this is. And it's vile. And I don't understand the motives. I don't understand the motives. And I don't understand why that would ever be someone's thought process to do this. I, I don't I don't get the chain of events in someone's mind that would lead them to think this was either a good idea or an acceptable idea or anything other than an abhorrent idea. I don't understand, Fred, if I'm honest. In terms of the club's response, what precedent is it setting if this isn't heavily punished? What precedent is that setting for, for future people? What if another bloke at the back of the fraternity end, bit of a wrong end, goes... Right, well, Westwood did that and only got a two-match ban. I'll just pop into the uh, the toilets for the, the opposite sex. That's a, that's a hell of a precedent, mate. Not okay. So the club cannot both go on about standing for her game two and similar causes. And while they're doing that in parallel, not crack down on something like this. This isn't just like, you know, slightly sexist language in the, in the frat and end, which is still pretty crap to hear, but, you know not actually breaking any laws or potentially leading to some sort of indecent event for someone being scarred by it. This is more than that. And the club need to act on it. And I agree there needs to be an education part because, I mean, anyone who's listening to this disagreeing with me is just going to think I'm an absolute twat for saying the man needs an education so I don't agree with him. But there's a number of his views he does need educating on, as far as I'm concerned. It's an embarrassment to the majority of us as football fans. I've had People I work with coming up to me this week asking about it, who support Premier League teams, championship teams, have no interest in Pompey. This is the face of the football club, is what turns up and goes viral on social media in the news, is the bloke with Portsmouth FC in his name going into a woman's toilets. That's the perception of it. No wonder it can be bloody unpopular as a football club. Every time we are on TV, someone makes a twat themselves anyway. It's an absolute embarrassment. And... I wasn't even surprised when I saw it. That's the sad thing. I'm going to shut up. That's even for my standard. That's a bit of a rant. But um, I'm sure there are people listening who think I've just chatted a load of crap and will probably message in. That is your prerogative to think the world is woke and lefty and snowflakey. And I'm just a, you know, way too emotional. And I wouldn't have coped in the hard times when winters were colder and, you know, world was black and white. But this isn't about that. This is about a bloke going into a girl's bathroom and thinking it's okay and funny. Yeah. Fred, let's move on to the next topic. Have we got anything else off the pitch or should we do our Bristol Rovers preview? The only last thing which we're going to go over quite briefly is um, Mike Lars is apparently going to do a video interview upcoming and apparently a couple of submitted questions from the Tony Goodall fans conference are going to be put forward to him. They can range from off the pitch issues to the next summer etc. I think the club still needs to do a lot better with their communication. I think, for example, getting rid of the monthly q and I think was stupid. And we'll have to see what it leads to. But that's the only other bit of news before we preview the Bristol Rovers game, really. 
Sweet. Yeah, look forward to seeing that come out and uh, we'll respond to it as and when it does. Okay, Bristol Rovers. Away game, the gas to 14th in League One. They are nine points below Pompey, having played the same number of games. Managed by our favourite man, Joey Barton, featuring our favourite man, John Marquis. I personally want us to win largely just because I want Joey Barton to shut up for another afternoon and then just to have some sort of upset reaction, something happening in the game. In terms of the form Bristol Rovers are bringing into the match, they've picked up points really where you'd expect them to in the last few games away against Forest Green. They've picked up three points against a really struggling Oxford United. I think that was just before... Carl Robinson was sacked. In fact, it might have been his final game. I'm not entirely sure. It was around the time that Carl Robinson was relieved of his duties. Really good point for them at home against Barnsley, looking at Barnsley recently. But they lost this week, midweek, uh, home against Wickham. They lost at home to Burton. Uh, they lost at home to a struggling MK Dons team in the last sort of six weeks or so. So you'd have to say that the Mem isn't a terrifying place to go on paper alone. Uh, in terms of main threats, I guess you're looking at top goal scorer Aaron Collins, uh, who scored 15 in all comps this year, plus 11 assists. By far the most, by far the, the striker with the most return, let's say. What are you thinking for this game? What are your first thoughts, my friend? Well, the way that Bristol Rovers play, they're a very aggressive side. They either play in a 3-4-1-2 formation or a 4-3-3. Like I mentioned, Andy, Archie Collins is their main man. He either plays in the cam, in the back three formation, or on the left in the back four. Very dangerous player, by far their best player. A couple of other people to mention, obviously, Jordan Marquis leading the line in both formations. He sometimes plays up front with uh, Josh Coburn, 6-3, scored nine goals this season. That partnership can potentially be quite deadly. And then they brought in Scott Sinclair recently, who obviously has that higher level of quality and five goals and three assists in half a season is a pretty good return. They're a very aggressive, high-pressing side that want to get the ball to the final third quickly and use their clinical attackers. Defensively, they're awful. Um, they conceded the fourth most goals in the league with 58 and their expected goals against is 55.72, so they're pretty much in line. It's not necessarily like a, a major bit of bad luck there. Pompey simply have to crowd out Bristol Rovers in the midfield to stop the ball getting to their attackers, isolate them, and then just slowly pick apart the defence. They kind of have to play in a similar way to the Sheffield Wednesday game, but with the quality from the Accrington Stanley game. In terms of the chances, uh, in terms of just taking those chances, really. If, for example, they lose that midfield and then Bristol Rovers can attack quickly and get those chances in, then it's going to be very difficult. But I think Pompey are still firm favourites. Bristol Rovers' form has been pretty poor. It's going to be quite an exciting game, in my opinion, with two aggressive sides going at it, really. In terms of the former player curse, are you doing your normal thing of predicting a John Marquis goal? Or are you a little bit more grounded in reality this time around. No, it is Port so I am putting John Marquis on that list. Um, I think if you had to give me a prediction, I'm going to go with a 3-2 Ports of win because Bristol Rovers are very aggressive. They have the ability to score goals. They've said they've shown that already, but they cannot defend to save their lives. And yeah, that's where I'm going to leave it. It's going to be goals from John Marquis and Archie Collins for Bristol Rovers. But I'm going to go for a Colby Bishop-Patrick 
he's going to get nearer and nearer to that 20 goal a season mark and we're going to carry on with the uh, the very unlikely playoff place Andy the very yeah. unlikely playoff push well, I shout that is 3-2 with a Colby Bishop hat-trick. That's something to look at the odds for, Fred, if you were uh, interested in a betting side of things. So I'm wondering if Joey Barton is going to, direct quote, get his team prepared for war again, uh, because that's that went well last time. Was it Was it Thompson got his leg broken in the first first half last time we played? Yes, yeah, so right? for the Glen Whelan challenge. Yeah, so hopefully uh, they'll come in two-footing for the first 20 minutes again. Lovely, lovely football team. Um, I'm I'm not far from that Kevin Keegan I would love it if we beat them I would love it but I'm going to go with a I think a 2-0 Pompey win I think they are very gettable at at home and I do think that we are going to have a fairly strong run in I think playing against Sheffield Wednesday Sheffield Wednesday were a better team they have high quality players they're more consistent they deserve to be where they are on the table we deserve to be where we are in the table in 10th, but I do think that we are a better side than what Bristol Rovers currently have on offer. And from what I've seen so far in terms of our sort of points per game and form under John Massinho since he came in, I, I know who I'd rather have a, as a, a coach as well between the two of them. So let's go 2-0 Pompey win. I agree that Bishop will nab one and then I'm going to chuck a centre-back on there. So either Raggett or Towler. Freddie, we will wrap it up there. Thank you for your company. It's always lovely to have a catch up. Uh, Hugh, we miss you. Jack Hancock, you are useless for not being available at 30 seconds notice. It's unbelievable that you had social plans on a, what is it, Wednesday evening, um, but we'll get you on again shortly. Fred, thanks for coming on, my friend. Lovely to chat. Yeah, lovely to chat, Andy. Thanks for, for doing this, and I hope the listeners enjoyed it as usual. Speaking of listeners... Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope you are all keeping extremely well. And uh, those of you who went to Accrington have now got the circulation back and the feeling back in your fingers. Those of you travelling to Bristol this weekend, have a safe trip, enjoy it, and play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now, available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter, for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.